Welcome to the Airy Wellbeing Podcast, where we explore all things mental health, well-being, and healing through the lens of our own experiences as Black people and children of Eritrean immigrants. Our goal is to normalize the mental health conversation in our community, empower and raise awareness so that you can better understand your mental health from a place of curiosity and compassion. We are your hosts. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Miki. And we're so happy that you're here with us. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Every Wellbeing Podcast. Miki, how is it going? I'm good, Ruti. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited about today's conversation. This is somebody that we've wanted to get on the show for a really long time. So I'm really excited, actually. We are speaking to Bethlehem today that runs a platform called Kinet Bet on Instagram and beyond with lots of culturally relevant mental health content. And I think that's so important, you know, that we get more people in our communities creating tailored and customed content that really speaks to our cultural heritage and can build bridges between like different demographics also within our culture or within our communities. And today's topic is about how can we start creating a culture of healing? So we're going to get into what that means in more detail. But first of all, welcome to the show, Bethlehem. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) So are we, so are we. (laughs) We're so excited. I will say I love, love, love Airy Wellbeing and what you guys do on your platform as well. So when you guys reached out, I was like, "Uh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I'm very happy to be here and for us to have this conversation. We are so happy that you're here. Thank you for taking the time out from your, you know, family and your Sunday to chat to us. So let's just jump into it. Who is Bethlehem? Like, what's your background? What should we know about you? Bethlehem Bakala. I was actually, I'm from Ethiopia, was born in Ethiopia. I um, was raised slightly there, but I'm not going to tell you for how long or what year I came in. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was raised slightly there and then I came to the States. I grew up in New York to a family that made sure that the culture was so important to uh, make sure that the cultural identity was very strong in our home. My mother had a saying, this is America, but in this house, it's Ethiopia. You know, so that's the family and that's how I was raised, which put a lot of love in my heart for our culture. Because I was raised here, I was able to understand and acclimate myself to the culture here, right? So now I was between two cultures. And um, from there, I was, I went into banking for about, again, I'm not going to say the time, (laughs) about 15 (laughs) years. I was in uh, finance where I was focused on helping immigrants and um, small communities, minority communities and small businesses. That was my passion. Um, That was what I focused on a lot. And after I had my son (laughs) and he's about 16 months old now, and I experienced a really um, strong postpartum, which we don't really talk about in our culture. Everybody talks about how beautiful motherhood is going to be or how difficult it's going to be, but no one says the mental wear and tear that may happen. And so after that, my personality, I'm like an extrovert, very bubbly. And so when I got hit with that, I was like, what is this? Like, what is this dark cloud, you know? And once I 
realize, and my thought process is, man, if I can get this, which that means anyone can get it, right? And then I realized we don't have an open desire to communicate these things. So I wanted, that's what led me to having like a keynote tweet and um, what put my heart, the passion to want to help people and to have these conversations that we don't normally have. So I just took my career of talking to people and working with communities to bringing that, infusing that with my passion now. And I mean, it's so clear that you're so like passionate about this work. This is something that I think one of the reasons as to why Mikael and I wanted to talk to you is like you're so passionate, all the content material that you bring out. So it makes sense to us now because we haven't really spoken much before recording this conversation because we kind of wanted to keep it fresh. So connecting that to your own like direct personal experience as well, like you said, with like postpartum and so on, it definitely feels like yeah, that this is something that's very personal to you, right? Oh, yes, yes. So that brings us to another question that we have, which is like, what does Kinetbit actually mean? And what type of work do you do through your platform? Yes, so Kinetbit is an Ethiopian word. Kinet means art. Bait means home, a place where there's full of love, um, compassion, understanding, that and also play on my name, Beit Elohim, which fun fact means house of bread in Hebrew. So it's just home house nice. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> throughout. Yeah. And um <laughs> and Beat was I used to teach dance to children when I was younger in New York. So cultural dance. So that is good stuff. If I ever meet you after COVID, it's going down. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> and from that, it transitioned. So the focus was on the culture then. And then I think as I matured and as I started growing and maturing, uh, Kinect Week also matured with me and it changed with me. What we do on the platform is we talk about, it's not necessarily just mental health, but it is focused on how do we change the culture? to create the space for us, which, by the way, culture ties to our identity, which then ties to how we think about ourselves, with how we think about each other, and then the community. So it just keeps getting wider and wider. The impact is so large. So on Keynet Bait, we focus on helping people, creating the space for us to have these tough and difficult conversations about upholding the beautiful part of our culture while saying, hey, it's okay for us to change something that does not work. Culture is changeable. It's alive. It changes how as we change, right? We are not bound by it. It's supposed to be fluid and changing with us. So just creating that space with compassion, I really, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard that we share each other's content a lot. My voice is never, you did this and you did that when we present. It's all about compassion and understanding and how do we get better? How do we change? So that's what we do on Kinetry. That's such an amazing work. I mean, for me, I mean, as a nurturer, but also as an anthropologist, I don't think I've mentioned this before. So it's all about culture. So how does a culture shape the way we think about things, the way we understand, you know, mental health is just one of the topics, but how we relate to one another, the language that we actually use and the power that it carries. And that goes beyond the literal translation, but really, okay, what kind of social implications are at play when we use a certain language and when we say certain things, whether it's, you know, Amharic, Tigrinya or Italian. Like for me, for instance, 
I speak about different topics, different aspects of my life in different languages. Wow. If I were to talk to my brother, there are certain things I will discuss in English, certain things I will talk in Italian, and I will put some Tigrinha in it as well. But just because sometimes, even in language itself, it carries so much culture that it's hard to just translate it. And then taking it back to, you know, the work that we do and even one of the reasons that we did, we started Dairy Wellbeing was exactly to emphasize, to provide resources and have this conversation in a way that's relevant to our cultures, to our experiences, uh, you know, in our homes and the way we navigate multiple cultural worlds at the same time. And we are very flexible with it. But then, as you mentioned, we need to really examine what aspects of our culture really serve us and what doesn't and kind of be okay with letting go certain aspects of our culture that don't serve us anymore. And this yeah. is particularly relevant when we talk about mental health, well-being, and we are creating new narratives that, to our understanding, to our knowledge, didn't exist before. And as you said, we come from a space of compassion, not necessarily putting the blame on our parents, our families, our community. There wasn't in a language before because they didn't have that privilege. They didn't have the access at the time. But we are perfectly placed to, you know, change the narrative and bring in new information, new resources, and even ourselves produce content that can help others. It's such a privilege. I mean, I love, congratulations, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) When you guys were talking on the last podcast about changing the narrative and even not being able to see young people and accomplishing to the level that you're going. A lot of us, for whatever reason, a lot of us, you mentioned something about not being able to have support, the support and the resources around you, because this is something, a new territory that we are going through. And I absolutely agree. And it's the same thing for us for those of us like Airy Wellbeing, um, Kenneth Bates, that when we're doing these things, I feel like <laughs> I'm closing my eyes and just kind of hoping to reach somebody because I have, no, <laughs> I have no idea the impact and the reach that it's going to have. I just know that it's something that I didn't feel comfortable in anymore. You can love a culture and not like certain things about it. And I think uh, some of us, sometimes the way we have been brought, it's like you either love it or you don't. It's not black or, or white. There's a lot of gray in between and a lot of different types of colors because it brings in a lot of emotions that is attached to things that have happened, but maybe we never unpacked it, we never processed it. So just kind of sitting there and then now this is from the past I'm talking about. And then now you come to the present, you're really not sure why you're doing it, whether this thing even serves you anymore, but because the culture, quote unquote, culture has been passed to you without, like, we're almost like on auto mode. We just keep going and going and going, and we don't even know if this is something that is good for us anymore. And also, for those of us who have lived in several places, you guys have lived in more than one country, I think, as of I, every time you go to a new place, the culture of that place impacts our values, it impacts how we see things. Even if you're just in one country, your thoughts are and your values are impacted by so many different things, experiences, people you meet, 
and also the stage that we're in, right? Our stages changes and our growth process, it requires us for us to change and to adapt. And so I think tying that back to the culture and identifying exactly what it is that's not working for me here. What am I not getting that supports me, um, that supports my sisters, my brothers? What is it that that's not working? And I'm honestly, I think when we have an honest conversation, a conscious conversation about what is this thing that I'm feeling right now? A lot of us are on the go, 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 go. But if we just stop, slow down, just notice what we're doing and understand why we're doing it, we start creating the change within ourselves first, and then it keeps going and going into our community. So these type of platforms for me, just it's like uh, taking a megaphone in a much nicer way, <laughs> having a <laughs> megaphone and just going out and just saying, guys, this is not okay. And let's talk about why it's not okay. And how can we do it better? And it makes a big difference for someone who may not be able to verbalize what they're thinking or even identify exactly what it is that's in the back of their mind that might not necessarily make sense to them. So having these type of platforms, I think, of creating and saying it's okay that this isn't, we don't like this. We can still love our culture and not like pieces of it. I mean, I was just thinking in my head, I have like a big yes. I'm visualizing a big yes to like everything that you're saying. And I think that's such an important factor because Mikael and I have many, many things in common, you know, and one of the things that we have in common is this, like, both of us weren't born back home. We were born here, out here, right, Mickey? You were also born yeah, yeah. in Italy. Yeah, we're both. <laughs> I can confirm. Yeah, but I mean, you, even if you did, you maybe you came as like a very young child, you wouldn't have remembered, but we were born out here, like in Europe, like in the West, but we have this like tremendous love for our culture for like our people, the traditions, like all of that stuff. And like something that I think both of us have had to learn, but I'm going to speak for myself, is that it took a long time for me to understand that it's like, just because I love my culture doesn't mean that I have to love all parts of it. You know, it really felt like a betrayal in the beginning. I was like, my identity was like really very like interwoven with like, the culture and how I'm supposed to show up and all of that. I was really wrapped up in it. And it took a long time for me to do what you just said, which is like to remove, like to use a strong word, like the parts that were like toxic or like not serving me and to stick with the things that like I actually love and enjoy because there are a lot of things that I do love and enjoy. But I think that part of like giving yourself permission to say, hey, this doesn't work for me anymore. And you're absolutely right in that. We see you as a community builder. We see ourselves as community builders. We're not mental health professionals. We don't have all the answers. We're just saying we're willing and we have the capacity to hold space for the conversation. But it's really everybody has to go or needs to go on their own exploration journey. Absolutely. You saying you have yes, and my head is tilting back. And I'm like, exactly. My curls are like flying all over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you said one word so crucial for me that kept like resonating, and I wanted to mention it um, was permission. I think our culture, um, because culture in itself tends to be passed down through various ways, right? And one of them is the passing down through action, verbal, 
this communication. So, and usually it comes from people that are older than us. And in our culture, you respect the elders, right? So a lot of the things that Taiwan, we are asking, why is it so difficult for me to get rid of or to remove the things about our culture that it's not good for me? That's because we have to understand why that is, right? One of the main reasons is because I learned it from my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, my father, <laughs> my uncles, whom I love so dearly. And I've seen them do it. I've seen them speak it. And so in my mind and in my heart, I say, no, if I love them, I have to love what I receive from them. No, <laughs> you can love them, which is separate from liking the information and the data that you know you receive. And I think that then you bring that to ourselves. I can love myself, but not like the things that I'm doing, right? So we're not always victims. Sometimes we're the ones who are creating the hostile environment. And the reason behind it is because maybe we were around that type of environment. So when we're looking at and when we're having a reflective moment, we have to say, like, why? I mean, I think we're so scared of this question in our culture because you're just supposed to receive and then pass it on. It's like a baton, right? Like you yeah. just, you receive it, you hold it for a little bit of time and then you pass it to the next. I think I'm even more passionate now because I have my son and I realize, first of all, he, he's going to grow up here. His name is Johannes. So it's very Habashane, right? Like we're very Habashane. So That's my dad's name. <laughs> He's not going to get away from his Ethiopianness, right? His mother's name is Theodros. Like, he's not going anywhere. Like, But I'm so cautious about what is it that I'm going to be pouring into him? Am I going to be pouring into him the parts of our culture that I don't like, like the culture of silence? Is that something that I'm going to pour into him? No, no, I want you to tell me as much as you can tell me because I'm your mother. And I want you to know that my love is unconditional. It's not going to be based on condition. Like if you are doing something, it's not going to, I'm not going to like everything you do, but I'm going to love you. And I'm going to make sure you know that. And at 16 months, I better get it together now because <laughs> the first three years of a child's life is the most crucial. That's when they build everything, the structure for the rest of their lives. And for our family, my parents, like I told you, there's a cocoon of Ethiopianness that I feel still when I go to my mother's house, you know, uh, and I smell the food as soon as you walk in, it's just love. You know, we wear gabbies in our house. That was one of the things that we received from our culture. So when you, Ruthie, when you're talking about the parts that we love, yeah, there are a lot of things that you, we love, that I love about our culture. And having the permission, giving ourselves the permission to say, uh-uh, I don't like this one. And I'm, I want to change this. It's okay to do that. Like, I'm really hoping that at the end of this, our, our conversation, I want people, if they get nothing, I want them to understand, hey, it's okay to not like stuff about your culture. <laughs> and you have the power to be an instrument for change. Mm -hmm. And that's really just what I want to drive home. That's really powerful, yeah. 100%. And I think as you were speaking, what came to mind is that a lot of our fear, the fears that we hold uh, with regard to, you know, rejecting part of our culture is that many of us 
live outside of Eritrea, Ethiopia, you know, our country of origin, which means that we live in society that are usually predominantly white, Western, European. And so if I speak about my personal experience as somebody who was born and raised in Italy, when you are rejected institutionally and as from the society, you know, that surrounds you, as a black person, then you hold tight to your heritage, you hold tight to your identity, mm-hmm. because that gives you a sense of belonging, it gives you power, it encourages you know who you are based on your heritage, right, and your experiences. So what then, but the other side of the coin of that experience is that you're fearful of examining the things that don't serve you. I mean, and this kind of leads us to our next question, which would be, uh, why do you think it's so important for, you know, Eritreans, Ethiopians, uh, children of immigrants, or immigrants themselves who came maybe as children, you know, and grew up in Western society? Why is it important for us to talk about healing and how we can incorporate that in a, with our culture? So, Yeah. When you guys are talking, you know, my brain is like, yeah, pew, 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 you know, it's, it's shooting so many. <laughs> I'm over here. It's agreeing, mutual. Like, it's mutual. You're 100%. <laughs> I'm like trying to grab myself. Yeah, I swear, I, I put my phone on, like, I got to start taking notes because I'm like, I'm trying to tell them too much. <laughs> I think the first answer to that question, I think it's so important for us to heal because hurt people hurt people. You know, that's the first thing we need to understand. We give off what's in our heart. And if we're hurt inside, we're feeling pain. If if there is a lot of pressure around us, guess what? We turn around and we give that. So our energy, the shadow that we're casting, if we're ever conscious of it, the shadow we're casting is the same thing that we don't like. And the only way to cut that off, to cut the passing of pain, the, the baton passing of pain is to heal. and. For us as Ethiopians, Eritreans, immigrants, oh my God, I'm going to talk about immigrants (laughs) just in general, right? And just black folks, you know, anybody, anybody that's experiencing pain, anything that says, that questions, and you were mentioning, Mikhail, about our identity, like anything that ties to our identity. And if there's a source of pain from that, then that we internalize that. And we, it's as if we are the pain. No, we are in pain. We are not the pain. So then we don't have to pass the pain, right? So words have so much power, the delivery of message, the people we surround ourselves with. If we are like on this journey of healing, because that's what it is, it's a journey. If we are not surrounding ourselves with people that are also on that same journey, it makes it so difficult to get out of it. If you are trying to quit smoking, for example, you're not going to hang out with people that are smoking because that smell, you know, that's how it gets you. That smell, then you start, I mean, obviously I don't smell cigarettes. I've never smoked cigarettes, but I mean, people who smoke tell you like, you start salivating. You're just like, start itching. Where's the cigarette? Let me get, let me get one real quick. (laughs) Why? Because you have now put yourself in an environment that supports the habit that you're trying to leave. So it's the same thing when we're trying to heal. And the reason why it's so important, like I said, is what are we doing? What is the shadow that we are casting, honestly? What is our purpose? I think it started 
why I even started, one of the main reasons is I started asking myself a lot of questions. When I became a mom, it stopped being just about me and it started being about my son. What am I going to provide for him? When he sees me, what is he going to see? What am I going to radiate to him? And then it grew to what environment is he going to be growing in? And I mean, I've worked with children for so long. And so I'm so passionate about the impact of what the next generation, because we are what was passed down to us. Partly we are, our minds are what has been passed down to us. I do not blame anyone because people do what they know. Mm -hmm. That's why you can't hold them accountable up to a certain point because they just, if they don't know, they don't know, right? If you're in a culture, for example, for the, for our parents that come to another world, I mean, imagine the change they have to go through. They left everything they knew, their support system, and they go into a land that identifies them completely different. When we're back home, we're not black, right? Back home, I'm Ethiopian. You know, your family, they're Eritreans. That's it. That's where it stops, right? And then maybe we go into providences area so i'm not saying that we're not black we are black but the realization of our blackness happened once we go into a new culture that then says oh hey you are of this complexion of this background that makes you black like i didn't realize so when people for example come from back home and they're in the states for the first time they're like, no, I'm not black. No, you are black because the way the identity works in this country is they're like, no, no, I'm Ethiopian, I'm Eritrean, I'm this and that. Uh, yes, you can be that and be black. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not mocking anybody, but really it's such an important thing for us to understand why this goes with healing, right? This goes hand in hand with healing because you are creating an identity now. This is your identity is now expanding. And when you're expanding, that means you're disturbing the thing that you've held for a very long time, right? It's been sitting like an egg. So now it's coming out of its shell and it's expanding and it's going to go into a new world. And you're like, wait a minute, this new culture is saying this, but I've held on to this for so long. How do I move forward as the new version of myself? And you cannot do that unless you start healing from some of the wounds that you didn't realize that you had. And I think a lot of us, that's what we carry. We carry stuff that we didn't realize we're carrying. And that's where triggers come from, right? Like Ruthie, you said, we're not mental health professionals. I'm not a mental health professional. I do consider myself a community builder. And as such, I'm going to tell you that our community has a lot of things that need, it needs to heal from. It has a lot of questions that we need to ask. The why, why, why are one of the things we need to ask. You mentioned earlier about things that we held on to from family. I love my family. I don't like some of the things, you know, going back to, I don't like some of the things that was passed down to me. And it is within my power to say, you know what, this no longer serves me. And I, for me, especially as a parent, it's so crucial for me to say, I definitely don't want to pass down to my son. <laughs> like I have to pull that from the passing of the baton. Like if I need to chip off from the baton and put something else there, let's do that. Or even I'd rather give him a baton full of holes, like if it's not something that works, right? So I think it's so important for us to heal and create a, a culture of healing because culture is part of our identity and that ties back to who we are. And if we are not creating a space for healing and if a culture is not healing, 
what is it doing? It's doing the opposite. It's hurting. It's causing us pain, which then ties back to who we are. And then we turn around and we, like I said, hurt people, hurt people. So then I turn around, I pass that pain to somebody else. So it's such an important part as we go into our individual healing journey that the ecosystem is there to support our growth and our changing of who we are. I think there's a really important perspective shift that needs to happen right because when we are like in that position we love our cultures we love our family like you said I saw my parents yesterday and when I'm around them you you just get pulled into this I don't know what it is but this like cultural it's like navigating so many different like spheres like environments all the time but it's really important to understand that it's like we don't have to feel disempowered by it because we have choice And I think that choice calls for us to take responsibility as adults, although in many of our parents' eyes, we're always going to be seen as like their children, right? That's part of being, you know, a child of an immigrant often is like, you'll always be my kid. But the reality is that, you know, most of us, most people who are listening to this, we are adults. And with being an adult, in what you're saying, I find it like truly empowering that it's like, Yes, you get to choose, but that comes with a level of responsibility, potentially some discomfort, or actually not potentially, for sure, discomfort. You know, you're going to be out of your like comfort zone. But I think it's so hopeful. And I love the way that you're framing it with like, hey, I have this like beautiful gift, my son. I owe it to him to go through like what I've been given, this like culture, this emotional I don't know, traditions, baggage, like there's many ways to describe it, to look and survey what works, what doesn't work. I've looked at these things in more detail. And actually, I don't agree with this. This doesn't sit well with me, with my spirit. But these things really do. And these things I'm going to pass on. And I think some of us shy away sometimes because we feel like we're not allowed. We don't have permission. But like, you know, creating the life that you want and feeling like aligned and happy in your life When you come from such a strong cultural background, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. But like once you get past that and through that and you realize that you can actually create a life based on the things and the values and the integrity around the things that you care about and you can keep your family, right? Yes, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) We should retitle this to a conversation of yes. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you. I think the first thing I was about to speak on Amharic, like that's how comfortable I am right now. <laughs> the first thing is discomfort, I think, breeds growth, right? So if you're uncomfortable, we have an opportunity to look at it and say, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable or I'm uncomfortable. So what can I change, right? And change is that's how we grow, is by changing. And then also, yeah, absolutely. See, my why is my son, but because he's, he's a child. But what about the child within us that never received, right? Those of us that are not parents, or maybe we'll never be parents. We owe that inner child within us to say, okay, what didn't you like? What didn't you like? What was that thing that you were sitting with? I will say, like, it is not... <laughs> It's not easy. <laughs> it is not easy. Healing, I always say, there's no destination for healing. Okay, it's a journey. And then the journey, <laughs> it's two steps, five steps, seven steps back, back, uh, forward, and then sometimes it's 10 steps back. But 
in the overall scheme of where you were to where you are now is what should keep you going. And then I look at it like a ball of yarn. When you take one out, you may not feel the change, but there's something that's lifting and you just got to keep doing it, right? You just got to keep doing it. I really hope that one of the things that have helped, so I'm, I'm, I'm more of a talk. That's kind of my thing, <laughs> my spiel or whatever. <laughs> but I have since adapted writing, journaling. It's so important because when I'm talking, a lot of times I'm talking what's in my mind and my heart. But when I write, I notice what comes out is what's in my spirit because I'm just writing and not thinking. I'm just writing, just free flow. And I feel like I'm having a conversation or what's on my inside is telling my mind, which is very separate, right? Like our spirit is so separate. And it tells us, oh, this is the thing I don't like. You're thinking about X, but what's really bothering me is B. You left it a long time ago back there and you just left it there sitting and it's in there. And just journaling has helped a lot. And I don't journal every day. So I'm not telling you to wake up in the morning. Before this call, I had to feed my son. So I'm just saying like there are a lot of curveballs that happen in our life. But when you do feel it, when you feel a sense of heaviness and we don't really know why, a great time to take out a pen and pad and just write it. I love our technology, but for me, just writing, if there's this thing that we're doing, it just takes us back to what we used to do when we were kids, right? So then it just kind of releases whatever tension. Um, first, our writing starts looking crazy <laughs> sideways, but then you don't care about that. You start thinking about that. You just write that. My God, I, I can't believe how crazy I'm writing. I used to be so much better. I think I should start writing more. And then you keep writing and then you start realizing something comes from your spirit that says, by the way, this one, and it can just be one word. And then that word, you got to sit with it. We got to start identifying it because in order for us to change the culture, we have to first change ourselves, right? It starts with me. I am part of the culture and the culture is within me, but I'm part of it. What I'm the one what that's fueling whether this is going to continue happening or if it's going to change. Each one of us are an agent for change in our culture and, or can be if we welcome it and if we say it's okay for us to do that. And like you said, uh, Ruthie, you said giving ourselves permission to do it. If we give ourselves permission to do it, we absolutely can be. Yeah, so many, so many times. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you touched upon this already, but I really want to kind of drive it home because it is like the main topic of the podcast, which is what does creating a healing culture mean to you? And what are some of the things that you feel comfortable sharing about that you personally needed to let go of culturally? Ooh, <laughs> that's the first, ooh. <laughs> For me, creating a healing culture means first being compassionate. I think it starts with being compassionate. The reason I say that, it, it's like the soil, okay, in which whatever change we're going to, whatever seeds we're going to plant, that's where it's going to grow. So if I'm not compassionate with myself, if I'm not compassionate with others, that may also be going through their process of changes, I think the first thing I needed to do was be compassionate with myself enough to know that if I want to change and I do want to change or even question the things that I've always accepted to be true, 
it's okay to do that. Like, it's okay. You mentioned, we call that permission, but just even when you give yourself permission, but sometimes you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm saying that. No way. You know, I remember sitting with my grandma and she said these things to me. There's no way. But no, it's it's okay that my grandma said that at that time because that's what my grandma knew and that's what was passed down to her. And then now when I'm at, I'm in the position to look at things from a different point of view and I'm okay with that, right? So the first thing was compassion. And if you notice, even my voice goes down as I mentioned the word compassion because I have been working on myself to see how compassion looks to me. Compassion means like kind of, I'm a very high energy person naturally. So when I talk about compassion, I take myself back a little bit. I sit back, take a deep breath and kind of create the space for myself to say, okay, what am I really feeling? Because I'm always running, 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 running. And so when I'm deciding to have this like internal dialogue, I'll say, okay, what am I really feeling? And whatever it is that I'm feeling, it's okay that I'm feeling that, right? So that's one of the first things I think that's necessary is for us to have this mindset of not in a blaming format, but to be in a state of compassion when we're having these internal dialogues or even having uh, having a conversation with somebody else. Because what I feel like may need to change, somebody else may not feel the same way, right? So like having compassion that they're not ready to have that conversation or maybe they don't view it. And that's okay. Like that's the second thing. It's okay that we don't agree on the things that may not work. My healing journey, I might be on stage seven. Someone might be on stage two and somebody might be on stage 20. If somebody in stage 20 is trying to tell me what's happening on stage 20, I don't see that because I need to go through a nine, 10, 11, up to 20 in order for me to understand what they're going. And I think sometimes that's what I'm so conscious of when I'm delivering whatever content I'm delivering on Keynote Speaks because I want to make sure that and that's where compassion comes in again, right? Because I'm not going to tell somebody, why aren't you on level seven yet? No, there's a reason why I started to begin with. Maybe you're not ready to start. Maybe you don't see it. So I'm not going to be like, this is what you need to do. I'm going to say, this is what we need to do. Having, I think, one of the things I'm going to bring in from my leadership and banking background is a statement of eyes. I think that's so important. I don't feel comfortable in this. Instead of saying, this is not good. No, I mean, because not everybody's going to see that, right? I don't feel comfortable in this. This thing has not served me. I want to change this piece of what the package that I receive. And that's really like on Keynote Speed, when I'm talking to my friends, when I'm talking to, I have some people that support, I have girlfriends that are like my sisters, my husband. We have a lot of these dialogues that help create. So because sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm by myself and I'm feeling these things by myself. When we're having these conversations, it helps me understand, okay, so I'm not the only one. Or sometimes I might be the only one and that's okay too. <laughs> it goes back to saying it's okay. The third, I think the third thing is what I experience, the pain that I experience, you may not have experienced. And we might have gone through the same exact experience. But what I took from it and what you took from it might be different. And that's okay. I mean, like it goes back to saying it's okay that we don't. I think a lot of times we get angry with somebody because... I'm hurt. How can you not be hurt about this? I'm upset. How can you not be upset? 
we are not going to create a space for change by blaming each other. It's just not going to work. So I think compassion goes back to that, right? Ruthie, you know, you and I had experienced this. And Mikhail, you were with me. All three of us were here. And yet, I'm the only one fuming. Maybe you two don't see, because maybe the situation, by the way, the situation is just a situation, but maybe it triggered something in me that I've never processed. So that goes back to talking about that. And I wanted to touch on something, especially when it comes to immigrants and what that looks like, right? So our parents, when they first come here, they're in a state of survival. When you're in a state of survival, Listen, you're just trying to feed your children. <laughs> you're just coming to a new land. Like you were trying to figure out the lay of the land. You already had all the system and everything was in place back home. You knew your friends. You knew where your support system was. You knew where, where your children are going to go to school. If you didn't have children, you just knew what your routine was going to be. You knew how to go to one place or the other. And then you go to a land where most of the time, the language you don't even speak. If we just stop and just process what that means, like my eyes are watering up as I'm talking to you because the idea of just being in a space where you feel like you're by yourself, you don't have time to unpack anything. <laughs> you're already holding on to your suitcase and still trying to take care of your children, your emotional suitcase. It's still intact. You don't have time. And then you do the best that you can with what you have, the knowledge, the resources, everything. So I think sometimes when those of us who have been raised here, we acclimate ourselves so quickly to the culture and our parents have a hard time acclimating to it because their cup is already full with a whole lot of culture. And then they go into this new space. They just are not going to adapt as quickly as we are. And so we forget to think about that because, and again, <laughs> compassion, I'm not just going to be compassionate and blame myself for it because I myself, I'm now as a child of an immigrant, I'm trying to survive. Like you are passing this culture that you grew up in, then I'm dealing with the reality of a whole new culture. And so now I think that's where compassion comes in. And when we're trying to make a change and even creating the space to have this dialogue says, listen, what were you experiencing? Because this is what I was experiencing. Tell me where were you at at that time? And I think it makes it difficult for us to change and to connect because our parents uh, come really from a culture of silence where sharing meant complaining unless you're having bunna or boon sessions. And then, you know, then you take out the stuff. But, and if, even at that time, it's not emotional stuff, right? It's just things that were difficult for you, but you don't really unpack the emotional um, things. And then, oh my God, I just, you guys, this is the, I'm like, I'm loving this, but I'm getting so passionate about it. Our countries have gone through a lot of war, sometimes with each other, sometimes within, like, within its, uh, itself. So that in itself has trauma. It creates so much trauma. And, um, if we're not like stopping and having these conversations about what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that that's going on? How can we truly be present? Because we're still holding on and carrying on to that pain and hurt and experiences that we didn't really dissect, you know, from the past. But I will say that it's not going to move forward 
unless we just stop it now. Like, let's just start now. Don't worry about the past for a minute. Let's just, where am I at now? Right? And for me, Ruthie, to answer your question more directly, so my dad was the strict person in our family. My mom was like, she cultivated a culture of conversation. One of the things that I loved was she used to say, on Saturdays, it's a free, no judgment zone. We have family breakfast. And after breakfast, we discuss, she used to say, tell us anything that happened that you, uh, any, any negative things that you felt about anyone in the family, even my dad. <laughs> and my mom's like, yes. And there's no consequences. She's like, nope. Are you sure? <laughs> you got to double check. Trust the shoes. <laughs> and then afterwards, we start having this dialogue. I remember telling my dad something that made me feel something that I didn't like that he did. And the first time looking at him through the corner of my eye, like, how's he going to say? And my dad said nothing. I mean, he is a hamsham dad. You know what I mean? Coming from back home. He's the oldest, so he's very strong. That's the kind of stuff that has been drilled in their mind, right? And he said nothing. And I said, wait, I think it's safe to continue this thing. <laughs> so every single week, my sisters and I took turns talking about the things that we didn't like or that felt heavy for us between my sisters and I. And really what helped was between my parents. And it started as a blaming session <laughs> a little bit because you're a kid and you're like, wait a minute, I'm getting a go ahead. I'm going to let them have it. And then, uh, and then just watch my back the rest of the day. It's okay. After we get out of life, right? <laughs> but that created the space to say what we felt and was such an important part. But after that, my dad couldn't really communicate very fully and openly with us because that's not what he was used to. He never had that with his parents, right? So as an adult now, I understand that. I think as a young woman or as a child, I didn't understand that concept. And to be honest with you, I told you I'm an extrovert, so I just didn't have time to process that stuff. I'm just like going to the next thing. <laughs> but then after I had my son and I, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to check my emotion, ladies, <laughs> because Aww. this is a recording, okay? After that. I had my son, <laughs> I uh, decided to quit my financial and focus on keynote speak and really just to be with my son. And for a father who held so much pride in my accomplishments and my career, man, that was... <laughs> I know ate him inside, you know, and then he saw, I stayed true to that. Like that in itself, by the way, woo, that had a lot to do with my postpartum. I think that like exasperated it a lot because I'm going to a new space and I just didn't understand. And, and they're like, Oh, maybe you can go back in six months. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not happening. But I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, Nope. <laughs> and my dad eventually said like I FaceTime him a lot they, they live in New York so I FaceTime him a lot and he said I know this was such a difficult time thing for you I'm so proud of you for making the decision to stay with your son none of you guys had that privilege growing up like when I tell you I took a deep breath of relief aside like I didn't even know I was carrying I'm about to tear up with myself <laughs> I was like uh... I'm telling you, and you don't even realize 
how much you needed that. Because mm-hmm. I realized at that moment that, oh my God, I'm carrying that with me. And I didn't even know I was carrying that with me. So imagine how many of the things we're doing, to bring you back to what we are discussing, imagine how many, how many things we're doing like that with our lives. So when he said that to me, I remember taking a deep breath and I said, thank you. I remember thanking him and giving, I didn't just take and run, right? I said, thank you so much for sharing that with me. You have no idea the value that it has for me. And I think from there, we've been able to have another conversation where he apologized. (laughs) So crazy. My dad, I think he's older now. So he's like really just kind of reminiscing, just processing things. And I think having his first grandchild is he's making, he's, he's seeing things. And I'm raising my son very differently, very differently, uh, partly from the way we were raised because it was very top down method in our home, like most immigrant homes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm trying to do like child led parenting. When I tell you some of that triggers me, mm, I just have to like, go take a deep breath outside of this room because this boy is going to sense my energy. But he said to me, he apologized. He said, I'm sorry. All I knew was that. Like, I didn't know a better way. And so that's what I received and that's what I gave. And not only that, he said, I think, like, and I'm paraphrasing, but he mentioned how he tied part of his identity to being this strong male that needed to be not just a provider, not because my mom worked too, but the authority figure in the family, because that's what he saw. And so I'm like, you know, and I did not take the time at that time to school him. That was not my place at that point, because he's already coming. Like I didn't need to be heard because I felt like he heard me without even me saying something. Right. So he came in with the intention of telling me how he felt and I just accepted it. And sometimes I think we're not a, we're not very good at doing that because we want our intention is to be heard. But when somebody's talking, sometimes that person just needs to talk and we just need to accept. And I think that helps the dialogue, you know? But so these are some of the major things that have happened in my life that said, oh my God, like, are we having the conversations that we need to have to uncover the things that we're carrying around that we don't even realize are carrying around. And what that looks like for our culture is my dad is now giving me the permission that I didn't even know that I needed to say, change this because now you know better than what I knew. And so continue going on this journey that you've started. That's what he's saying to me without saying that to me. Like I need to be able to decipher what is being said because our people's communication styles are not the same. If we know their intention and if we're just really, really, really listening. And I just did one and live on Kinetic about what listeners and our roles that we play and what that looks like. But intention is so important. What is my intention was my when my dad is talking to me? Am I trying to blame him? Or am I just going to listen to understand where he's coming from? And at that point, maybe that's enough. And we can go back and touch things later, right? Those are some of the things that, as I told you, I didn't need to like reel it back in, but those are the things that they were such key things in my journey of new parenting, um, discovering what my value system is, because 
as our life changes, as we change, our value system changes too. So just uncovering that, those things played a key role. And I don't think that was his intention, by the way. My dad's intention was not that, but it did impact me. And that is such an important part to say, I feel like that helped me design the direction of where Kenneth Leaf is going to go. Thank you for tuning in to the Every Wellbeing Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and sign up to our monthly newsletter. Links are in the show notes. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so that we can keep spreading the word about mental health and well-being in our communities together. Until next time, be well. Be well.